This is the Redemption Church Podcast. For a list of messages, events, sermon notes, and more, please visit experienceredemption.com. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here is today's message. Morning. Morning. Hey, if you got a Bible, open it up to John 15 this morning. John 15. We are uh, going to continue on in a series entitled Life in Christ. Uh, Before I uh, get into that, two things uh, just as a, a quick reminder, actually three things as a quick reminder. Uh, number one, I just want to let everyone know we do have a nine o'clock service. It still exists, and um, just wanted to let you know that. Okay. Um, number two, uh, we got about a month until the Clear Truth Conference. Uh, it is going to be an absolute blast. I know Danae already talked about it, um, but I just want to remind you and encourage you again, grab your tickets this week. Uh, let's fill this place out. Uh, we've got people coming from all over uh, locally, like kind of all over locally, and then of course across the nation coming in uh, to speak. And I, I, I talked to another one of the speakers yesterday, uh, and it just we're excited about what we're praying and believing that God is going to do. And so come and join us. If you're a student, remember, uh, junior uh, or middle school or high school, uh, your ticket is free. And so just fill out the, the form online and come and join us. Invite other students, invite other people. Uh, it, it's going to be an amazing three days that we're going to have together. Uh, and then I had a third thing, but I can't. Oh, third thing. I won't be here next week. I'll be down in Arizona preaching for my brother and uh, Mike Edwards, who I'll talk a little bit about more actually in my sermon, uh, but a friend of our church, Mike Holby, preaching next Sunday. Uh, and so he, Mike always does a fantastic job. And uh, so he'll be here. I'll be down there. I'll be back in two weeks and we'll kick off a brand new series in March. Today, the work before us is to look through John 15, 12 through 17. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to John 15. I just want to work my way through uh, these, these passages this morning. And uh, as I uh, work through it, it's a continuation of the first two weeks of this uh, sermon series. We looked at the opening verse of John 15, uh, verse 1, which was, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And uh, what was important from those two weeks uh, was first that our life is found in Christ, life in Christ. We can live life in self, life in self-righteousness, or we can live life in Christ. And when we live life in Christ, we're then connected to the vine. But the Father is the vine dresser. And what does it mean that the Father is the vine dresser? It means that he has a perspective that we don't have. Uh, It means he has a power that we don't have. It means that we submit ourselves to, to who he is. And then he, if we're in Christ, truly in Christ, is going to prune us. Uh, He's going to work away the things inside of us. Uh, He's going to cut some of the edges uh, so that we might do what? We might bear fruit for his glory. Now, over the first two weeks of this series, I was really talking about the uh, kind of the inward fruit uh, that, that is really kind of central to us as followers of Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and that's good fruit to bear. Uh, we talked a little bit about operating in the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that He has given us that are laid all throughout the Scriptures, uh, and so that's good fruit. And, and then in that fruit, we kind of transition there uh, in to fruit that is not just about what God is doing in us, but then fruit that God is doing through us. And even the gifts of the Spirit as they're laid out, the gifts of teaching, preaching, all these things, right? Um, Those are gifts that aren't necessarily for us. They're they're gifts for the edification of the body of Christ. Uh, But then the third fruit that I've been talking about in this uh, series is uh, then the fruit of uh, um, 
working excitedly and joyously for the kingdom of God, anticipating his great return. But as we anticipate his return, we work joyously and excitedly now for the kingdom. We do the work of the gospel, and we bear fruit, and it's a fruit that isn't, again, it's not just fruit like, oh, I'm more loving or joyous, that's good, but it's a fruit that brings the gospel out. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that, that third type of fruit, a fruit that brings the gospel to the world. I've been preaching now on a weekly basis for about 10 years, uh, so do the math, that's close to about 500 different sermons. And I was thinking about those 500 sermons, and I, I'm not sure, uh, someone might correct me later, but I don't believe that I've ever preached a sermon that I would say is like a classic missions sermon, like bringing the gospel out. And uh, if you've been in church uh, for an extended period of time, you've probably heard people talk about missions. And, uh, and if you grew up, uh, maybe like me, in certain denominations, you like collected your change once a year and you put it in a little yellow barrel and then you brought it in and, uh, and that money was to go to missions, right? And, uh, and there's this talk about missions. And um, uh, quite frankly, the first um, six, seven years of our church, we're at about year seven now, a little over year seven, we have not talked a lot about bringing the gospel out to the world. Well, why? Because we were concerned about um, making sure that the gospel was, was flourishing right here first. Uh, and we wanted to get to a place of stability, right? Uh, before, it's not that we never talked about it or we didn't do anything. Um, we, we just know that these things happen in rhythms. And, uh, and now as a church, look around, there's, there's more of us than there used to be. Uh, and, and there's a stability here in the body that we now get to step into new things. We get to step into new things that we weren't able to do before, uh, and that is to then get our eyes. Uh, it's not that we take our attention away from what God's doing here, but we're now also able to think about what does it look like to bring the gospel out? And so this morning uh, is really, it's kind of um, the beginning of a new era for us as a church. Uh, like I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, this will be the first time in the history of our church uh, that in the month of February, we're kind of taking up a missions offering. And, and what an offering is, is it's a gift above and beyond our normal giving. Uh, and where the point of the money is not something we do inside our church, but it's, uh, it's, it's money that goes out to bringing the gospel outside of our, uh, of our doors, of, of our walls of what we're doing here. Uh, and so that's where uh, we're, we're kind of headed this morning. And I want to do that by teaching through this text uh, because that's really what Jesus was doing with the disciples. Uh, he had talked to them about uh, Jesus or, or the Father's going to prune you and, uh, and, and so he's going to work some things out. If you're bearing fruit, he wants you to bear more fruit. But here he gets very missional. He's saying, now I'm going to send you out. And so, yes, the Father's always working in us, uh, but eventually he gets to this point where he's working in us, and he's also moving us out in one way or another. And that's what we see in the text this morning. Uh, I want to start in verse 12. He says, uh, we'll, we'll see three things this morning. The first thing we're going to see is the motive for ministry. The second thing we're going to see is the method. And the third thing we're going to see is the power. So the motive, the method, and the power. And uh, love the Word of God. It just lays it out so clearly for us right here. The first thing then we'll see is the motive. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved 
you. Now, in that simple phrase there, as I have loved you, and he's going to kind of reiterate it a little bit in verse 16 uh, when he gives them kind of their commissioning. But in that, that little phrase, as I have loved you, we see two motives emerging underneath it. The first motive is this gratitude. Look what he has done. He's reminding them, look what I have done. Look at how I have loved you. How did God love us when we were still dead in our sins? Christ loved us. When there was nothing in us that merited the grace of God, uh, when we could not earn the righteousness of Christ on our own behalf at all, he loved us. This is the gospel, right? Uh, that, that, that Christ loved us. And he says then, so out of that gratitude, what are we to do? We are to love one another. As he loved us, so then we love. And so what are the two motives? The first is gratitude. As we talk about anything this morning, even as we talk about generosity this morning, the motive is always gratitude. And then the second motive, right? So maybe like a layer up from that. The second motive is what? Love. Well, yes, love for the Father, but love for one another. Love for one another. Look what he says. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Here, Jesus is uh, he's showing that love is actually measurable. Love is measurable. And how is love measurable? By the level of sacrifice that goes into it. He says, let me show you what's on one end of the scale. The greatest love. Laying down your life for somebody. Laying down your life for somebody. Later on in the scriptures, we're going to talk about not just laying down your life for your friend, but actually laying down your life for your enemy, which is what Jesus did for us on the cross. We were dead in our sin. We were still in sin. Christ laid down his life for us when we were still his enemy. That was the greatest act of love. He says, love is measurable, and it's measured not by words. Not by words. It's measured by sacrifice. Greatest. Lay down your life. That would mean then that any other level of love is just scaled in from there. And the currency or the measurement for how much love do I have, how much love do you have, the measurement is sacrifice. So how much do you love your spouse? How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much do you love your kids? How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much do you love somebody else? How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much do you love the gospel going out to the world? How much are you willing to sacrifice? That's the measurement. That's the scale. And so Jesus first here, he's examining their motive. He's saying the, the motive for ministry or the motive for missions, um, it, it's not fame. It's not riches. Uh, it, it's not something that's going to diminish your sacrifice. It's something that's going to increase your sacrifice. Uh, and, and so the motive is not self-serving. It's not self-seeking. It's not self-elevating. The motive is love. The motive is, is it's gratitude and it's love that will be measured by sacrifice. That is the motive of ministry. 
Now, historically, about 400 years ago, uh, there was kind of the emergence of what we would understand as the modern missions movement. And the modern missions movement came out of, uh, it came out of, it came out of Britain, it came out of Scotland, uh, it came out of kind of that area. And the, the modern, uh, the fathers of the modern missions movement, uh, and, and by the way, were recipients of this, right? Were recipients of this. Uh, I always say this, if the, if the Puritans were as pessimistic as some modern Christians, they would have never left and come here, okay? So I'm glad that they didn't just say, well, it's all going to go to hell anyway, so who cares? Let's just stay put. No, they left, and they did something, and they were optimistic, and they believed that the gospel could take over a land, and it did, right? And the, the early missionaries uh, and, and like the founding fathers of the missions movement, they had two convictions. You can see this in their early writings. And conviction number one was this. They knew that it was going to cost. They knew it was going to cost them. And for many of the, the early missionaries, it did. It cost them everything. And, and to, to some, it cost them their lives. And, and they weren't even, uh, they didn't, a lot of them didn't even get to see the fruit of their early work. And, I mean, imagine 300 years ago, right, uh, being motivated to bring the gospel to, uh, to, uh, to the natives of, uh, of, of, of our country. Or, or, or land, right, uh, to, the, uh, to India, uh, where the gospel uh, had not been in centuries, uh, right, uh, to other places around the world uh, where, where they didn't even know the name Jesus. Uh, and again, this is 300 years ago with the level of transportation and movement and all of that kind of stuff, right, uh, that was there. They knew it would cost, and it did, and they went, and they went anyway. Here's the second thing they knew. They knew that the best platform for missions around the world was, and this is in the writings as well, uh, was nations uh, that were um, predominantly uh, Christ-centered. Nations that were predominantly Christian in their belief, in their ethos, in their, in their ethic. Uh, and think about this. Think about Peter um, listening and the rest of the disciples to Jesus and him saying, hey, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go and, and, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter and the disciples are looking around and like, there's like 70 of us right now. This is crazy. How are we possibly going to do that? And if, if you could have just shown Peter a snapshot of the, in the future and say, Peter, one day there will actually be nations like nations, and they're going to write their laws. They're going to write their constitutions. They're going to write their system of belief, and it's actually going to be based on this. Wow. Peter would have looked and go, that's, that's inconceivable in that moment. I'm sure it would have been, but that's what's happened, right? That there are actually nations now who, who we write our laws, right, based on this. By the way, this is why Christians should always engage in the political realm, right? Always, right, Christians should. Why? Because the, we've seen this now historically, that missions are exported from nations that are predominantly strong in their convictions around Christian ideals, Right? And so this is what happened, and this is these early uh, movements, right, launched us into our modern missions movement. And so, uh, it, by the way, at a micro level, um, this kind of explains why it's taken us a couple of years to begin to have these types of conversations. Because we know that to be an exporting church of the gospel, that what was most important first was that we become a strong, stable church here. 
I was in a pastor's gathering about six months ago, and I was listening to these guys talk. And they were like, how big should a church get before it starts planting churches? And like the whole panel and everyone talking, they're like, about 200 people. And I was sitting in the back and I was like, you guys are signing up for a miserable life. Like, like if, if every time you got to 200 people, you started sending people out, you are always going to be broke, you're always going to be stressed for volunteers, and you're always going to be pulling your hair out just trying to do basic things. I was like, this is an absolutely foolish idea. And I just sat back in the back and listened, right? And, and I still believe that to, to this moment, right? That, that the first thing to do is to be stable as a body of Christ and then export from a place of strength. Praise God. In seven years that we've gotten to be able to get to this place right that we can that we can now look out and say okay god how would you want to use us this body of christ how would you want to use us now to export to bring the gospel out to the world motivated by what gratitude and love you remember those times in the Gospels when Jesus would be walking and he'd be on mission. He'd be going to help somebody and then all of a sudden somebody would show up. And oftentimes they were people who were on the outs of society and they would show up in the moment. And what would the scripture say over and over? And it would say, um, Jesus out of compassion, out of compassion. Like Jesus in that moment would just look and he'd say, how can I not? Like, how can I keep going? How can I not just stop right now out of compassion then? To serve these people And so he would And friends that's what our motive should be Our motive in ministry should always be Out of gratitude and compassion How can I not How can I not want to bring the gospel to the world When I see what it's done for me How can I not want to be a part Of what God is doing When I see what it's done for me Let's take a quick break To hear what's happening at Redemption Church Well, hey, I'm Stephen Whitlow, pastor of Redemption Church and founder of the Clear Truth Conference. If you're in Northwest Ohio, you're a follower of Jesus, come and join us. This conference is for you to equip, encourage, and embolden each of us to stand for Jesus in every sphere of our life. We've got great speakers coming in from all over the country, and here's our hope, that we would be trained by the Word of God and then learn more how we can work together for the good of the kingdom right here in Northwest Ohio. Register today, cleartruth.media. I'll see you there. Now, back to today's message. This is the motive of ministry. The second thing that, that we're going to see in here uh, is the, uh, the method of ministry. Verse 15, uh, look at the text. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. What is Jesus saying here? This is what he's saying. He's saying, uh, the servant, he said, you don't give them like the insight into all of your plans. That's not their role. Their role is kind of just to do. But Jesus says, uh, here's what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to have friends in ministry. Uh, Paul later is going to use a very similar term and call them partners. Now, some of you, you're in our partnership class right now. About 250 of you over the course of last year went through our partnership class. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do it. It comes right from this idea. The idea being that when God forms a church and he brings people into the gospel, he's not just looking for servants. He, we are to be servants, but he's saying, I'm looking for friends. I'm looking for partners. He said, what's the difference? I'm going to let you in on the work that I'm doing. Think about how exciting that is, that the God of the universe is like, hey, come on here. I want to tell you what I'm up to. I want to tell you what my plan is. 
plan is to bring the gospel to the world, to see the gospel just grow and grow and grow and grow. There's a parable about this. It's called the parable of the mustard seed, that what starts small is going to go out and it's going to go out and it's going to go out and it's going to go out. And imagine the 70 on the day of Pentecost being told that 2,000 years later, 2.6 billion people are going to profess the name of Christ. Grow and it's gonna grow and it's gonna grow. And what's the method? Jesus says, He says, the method is, He's looking at the 12 specifically. He's saying, You, you, 2,000 years later, what's the method? You, us, we are the method. We are the method of how the gospel is supposed to go out. Each and every one of us. Uh, God's strategy for redeeming the world has always been the local church. That's why um, engaging in a local church is so important. Uh, that's why the, the word of God is so strong in our engagement to the local church. Because the local church has always been God's strategy for redeeming the world. The hope of the world is the gospel. The strategy for getting the gospel to the world is the local church. And then it's you and I, the individuals of the local church, bringing the gospel to the world. He says, yeah, I've called you friends, or I've called you partners now. He says, this is what I want you to do. Uh, we'll see this in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, uh, contextually, he is here just speaking to the, the 12 disciples, um, but I do believe that we can apply this out then uh, in the new covenant that Christ has called us and then Christ has appointed us like he's going to talk about. But he's reminding us here again of the motive, and he's saying, uh, what's the motive? I, I, I went and got you. I rescued you. I loved you. If you're here this morning, right, and, and I know this is very much like an outward, like, go get them uh, kind of sermon this morning. Let me remind you, though, that what, what precipitates us going out is us being gotten. And so even this morning, God might still be trying to get you. And, uh, and, and, and you might, this morning, you're not at the point yet where you're going out because God's still trying to get you. And he's trying to, uh, to let you know about the gospel that despite your sin, he loves you. And, uh, and it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It just matters what Christ did on the cross and you bowing your knee to King Jesus. But when he, once he gets you then, uh, uh, once he gets you then, he's going to send you out. And that's what he's reminding them here. He says, ah, you didn't choose this. He's looking at the disciples. He's like, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. He's like, I chose you. I went and I rescued you. He rescued me. And he says, now after I've rescued you, he says this, I appointed you. So the first thing he, he does is he rescues us. He rescues us by the power of the gospel. The second thing he does, he appoints us. Now, uh, this word appoint, another word uh, that is more like a ministry term that has been used throughout the generations is ordained. I've appointed or I've ordained. Now, oftentimes we think of the word ordained and we think of like, oh, a minister, they're ordained by a particular church or denomination, and then they're like official, right? They're like, they're an official pastor. And, and so they're, uh, you know, they can, they can, whatever, perform weddings or all of that kind of stuff. And all of that's true. But what we're seeing here is this. Peter later would call it the priesthood of all believers. Or I would say it this way, the ordination or the appointment of all believers. That 
that each and every one of us, because we have been gotten by Jesus, because we've been rescued by Christ, and then we have been filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit, that each and every one of us have been appointed or ordained for the work of ministry. You have been appointed for the work of ministry. You have been ordained for the work of ministry. And sometimes we get confused what this looks like. I have a six-year-old daughter. I talk about her a lot. Her name is Reagan. She played one season of soccer when she was three and a half. And she was very confused about the core essence of playing a sport. Here's what I mean by that. She thought the prize was not having to go into the game. Okay? And thought the punishment was having to go into the game. And so I was her coach. And so I'd say, who wants to play? And she would say, Daddy. I really think you should put him, him, and him in, right? I'll sit on the bench. And then when I said, Reagan, you have to go in, she would think that I was punishing her. Okay, needless to say, Reagan's probably done with soccer, right? We moved on to dance, right? And so um, I think there's Christians that get confused. And we think the point of the game is to sit and watch and to let him, him, and him do the work. No, the point of the game is to be in the game. And you have been appointed and ordained to be in the game. You have, each and every one of us. And some of us are like, oh, I still need to do a lot of growing up. Yes, you do. But you know one of the best ways to get better at playing something? Playing the thing. One of the best ways to get better at the work of ministry is doing the work of ministry. I always joke, people are like, I don't know if we're ready to get married. No, you're not. Of course, you're. no one's ever ready. <laughs> Just get married, and then you become more ready. Okay, now some of you are like, that was the sign we were waiting for. We're going to get married. Okay, you might actually not be ready. Okay, so hold on. <laughs> All right? Now, the best way to get better at it is to start doing it. The best way to start doing it again if you haven't been doing it for a very long time is just to start doing it again. You have been appointed and ordained for the work of ministry. Yes, you are to bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Don't ever stop working on that. Keep letting the Father prune you. Yes, you are to operate in the gifts of the Spirit and, uh, and, uh, and they're for the edification of the church, but yes, you and I are to be anxiously and excitedly and joyously working to bear the fruit that goes out, that brings the gospel to the world. He says, I appointed you, I ordained you. And friend, he appointed you and he ordained you. And if this is your local church here at Redemption, he specifically brought you here according to Ephesians 4 because there is something that this body of Christ, and remember, um, the best exporting um, um, entities are those that are strong on the inside first, right? Uh, and, and that our body is not complete until each and every one of us are operating in our giftedness. That's when we're most complete in Christ. Uh, and so you have a role here first to, to make this body of Christ stronger and stronger and stronger, more stable, more stable, more stable. Why? So that we can export more and more and more and more. He's appointed you. Appointed you what? He did not, you did not choose me, but I chose you. After I chose you, I appointed you, right? Appointed you to do what? That you should go. Or said uh, more maybe grammatically accurate uh, according to the original text that as you are going, 
right? As you are living your life, you are operating in the appointment of the gospel. And that as you go, and the phrase there, as you go, it, it kind of speaks to this idea of having a burden uh, inside of you. Like, you, you just like, I have to do this, uh, right? And not I have to as in like, I have to, but like, I have to. I can't not do it. I often talk to people, and they're like, Stephen, how long are you going to be in ministry? How do you, you know, all of these types of things. I say, you know, I don't know what other things I'm going to do in my life. I'm still relatively young. I don't know everything else I'm going to do in my life. But I do know that up until um, uh, right now, and for the last 15 years, I know where I'm supposed to be every Sunday morning. Like, I can't get out of that. I could run from it, um, but it's just going to be miserable. Like, I know where I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel on a Sunday morning. And uh, why? Because I, I have to. Like, I can't in good conscience not, right? Doesn't mean anyone has to listen. I'm grateful that you guys do, right? I can, but I can preach to an empty crowd. I've done it for years, right? Okay, so you, like, you just have to do it. What is in it? What's in you? What is in you that God's like, you just, you have to do this. And as you look through the gifts of the Spirit, some of it's like, I just have to see a new generation of students or kids uh, know Christ. Uh, some of you, it's like, I, I just have to um, um, uh, give generously out of the abundance that God has given me. Uh, I just have to create a hospitable environment because I remember what it was like walking into a church and feeling new. I just have to make sure that the lonely find a friend. I just have to make sure that the building looks clean uh, so that people walk in and they see the excellence to God. I have to. I have to. Out of the gratitude, out of love and compassion, I have to. I have to. I have to. There is a have to inside of each and every one of us because you have been appointed, called, and then appointed. You've been gotten and then appointed by Jesus to be on his team, to be about his work, that as you go, he would reveal to you what your have to is. Do you know it? Do you know it? Are you operating in it? Did you used to operate in it? And you, you haven't for a while. It's time to get back in. It, it, um, are you operating in it, but just in a small level? And, 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 and to operate in it more, by the way, would require more sacrifice. And for it to require more sacrifice would just mean what? That you're growing in love. Because sacrifice is the measure of love, right? And so as you're growing in love, growing in love, growing in love, growing in love, you're like, I have to do this more, and I have to sacrifice more. And I have, why? Because love is growing inside of me. And how do we grow in love? We grow in love by going deeper into the Father's love. And as we go deeper into the Father's love, we grow in love for the world, right? And as we go deeper into the Father's love, we're willing to, to sacrifice more and more and more because we're seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm like, I have to, I have to, I have to. It's, a, it's an older woman, a woman saying, I, I, I have to make sure a new generation of younger women know how to operate as a biblical wife and mother. Right? It's, a, it's an older man saying, I have to make sure a new generation of young men know what it means to be a godly father, right? or godly husband, a godly leader, whatever it might be. I have to, I have to, I have to. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go. And what should you do as you're going? You ought to bear fruit. But get this, Jesus adds something on to the end of this that I think is really, really important. He says that you should go, that you should bear fruit, but that you should bear fruit that abides. One of the other translations uh, says it this way. Um, go and bear fruit, but bear fruit that lasts. Bear fruit that lasts. In other words, um, don't, don't bear a fruit that, that's like, oh, okay, that was kind of cool, but then it just like disappeared. And do work that lasts. 
Um, be, have, have a sense of longevity. Um, bear fruit like the Puritans did when they left and came over, started something, and look how the gospel took over a nation. It's lasted, right? And what they started, let's not lose. Amen? Like, like, like bear fruit that lasts, that abides that will keep on going, that will have generational impact. Generational impact. Think about it generationally as you're bearing that fruit, as you're operating in that giftedness. Think about it generationally. How will this not just affect me? How will it affect the next generation, the one after that, and the one after that, and the one after that? Bear fruit that lasts. Now, this is a missions talk, um, and, and so, uh, of course, we, we, we got to take a second here, and we got to ask, well, okay, so how can we do this together? How can you and I, how can we, uh, we who are friends, right, we who are partners of Christ, but then partners together in the gospel here, our church, working alongside together, how can we bear fruit that lasts? Well, first and foremost, right, a strong local body. And so our first priority, of course, uh, is that we must take care of the body that he has given us here. And so let us be faithful in our service. Let us be faithful in our giving here to the local body first. That's what we're called to do. Why? Because that's the strategy. Uh, and so that's why we bring our tithe into the local church. It's why, we, it's why we serve our local church. We make sure that the body, it's why we disciple each other in the body first, right? We're growing a strong church, right? Building a strong church. So from that platform, we've reached it after seven years, from that platform, we can then begin to export. And so first and foremost, for some of you, part of joining in the mission is just joining up here first. And maybe some of you, you're still in that process. You're like, I don't know if this is the right church. That's fine. Take your time. Figure it out, right? Um, take your time does not mean seven years or three years, right? Um, because you need to eventually like dive in and get, get invested somewhere, whether it's here or somewhere else, right? Uh, but if you're in that process, figure it out. Cool. Chill out. But for the rest of us, if this is it, then we say, okay, I want to partner here and you partner here first. But then once you take care of here first, what do you do? You export so as a church, we've decided to export to three places uh, to focus in on how we can bring the gospel out. And we want to do it in a way that will last, that will last. And so let me give you the three. I'll run, run through them real quick. The, the first one is this, um, Revere Bible College. And uh, Revere Bible College is an uh, initiative that we started, uh, well, a, a little over a year ago is when we had the idea. Uh, and then we went from like nine months to like conceiving the idea to actually like birthing the college. The first year we had, uh, right now we're in the middle of our first year, we had eight, uh, we have eight students. It's going unbelievably well. We have incredible professors. I, I joke all the time, the, these students are getting like the best education for the dollar maybe in the country. And I know that's like a crazy statement, um, but I actually stand by it because I know the professors, I know their education level, I know the colleges they graduated to, I know the courses that we just literally ripped from Hillsdale uh, that they're teaching these students um, that are, and by the way, if you're like, well, what's Revere Bible College? Is it just a ministry school? No. Uh, some of you, this might make sense. If Hillsdale College and Cedarville or in any other Christian college, if they had a baby, that would be Revere, okay? That's what it is, okay? And um, that's probably one of our current students, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and it's going amazing. It's going so well. Keep praying for us, uh, by the way. Um, but um, I believe, I'm praying, that Revere, I don't know if it's five years, 10 years, 20, or 50 years, okay? But this is a 100-year play at least. And in, in a 100-year play, what's play number one? Get started. 
let's play number two, survive, <laughs> okay? And, and we got started, and we're going into to year two now, and our goal is to survive. And um, our goal for next year is somewhere between 15 to 30 students. We cap it at 30 because we want to grow at a place um, that is sustainable. Um, and uh, last year at this time, we were basically just getting started, like we had nothing. Um, we already have our first fully admitted student for next year, um, and then a couple of others in process, right? Um, because the word is getting out. And, and here's what you can do. You can pray. You can pray. Secondly, some of you might have a greater role to play. Uh, maybe it's as a professor. Uh, maybe you own a business, and, and you, you need to offer an internship. And um, if that is you, by the way, I know you're going first, but going first is going to be a win for you because I know these students, and, and, and I know how amazing they are. And, um, and I, mark my words, five years from now, ten years from now, businesses are going to be calling us and begging for our graduates because they actually show up to work, and they don't put their pronouns on their resume. Okay? <laughs> And, and they're going to say, do you have any more? Do you have any more? Do you have any more? And I'm going to say, yes, but it's going to cost you more because they're, they're, everyone, everyone loves them, okay? And so get in early. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> get in early. Um, the other thing you can do, by the way, is just keep telling people about it. And I would say this. Anyone who's like uh, um, a junior in high school up to like 24, 25, okay, um, they need to know about it. And um, there's a lot of people, and I would say this, a lot of students who took a gap year or who went to um, traditional college and they dropped out after a year or so because they're like, I don't know what to do. I'm wasting time and money to be brainwashed, and I don't want to do that. Those are prime students for us right now. Uh, and so send them over, and um, we're going uh, to do this. Malachi 4.2. Malachi 4.2. Um, okay, uh, Brittany, I know I told you not to throw the verse up there, but you can throw it up there. Okay, I, I forgot to change the translation, um, but this is what the translation says in uh, the ESV. But for you who fear my name, here's what I mean by that. In the NIV, it says, but for you who revere my name. Amen. Okay, and this was one of the reasons why we named it Revere. Okay, because, but for you who revere my name. And what Revere College is doing is every single class and every single moment is teaching students how to bow to King Jesus. Okay, now can I, let me just ask this, you don't have to answer. Is that different than what you're going to get at another college? Yes. Yes. Okay, but for you who revere my name, look at the promise. This is, this is a promise for all of us, not just our students. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Okay, we call every one of our students, they're just a little calf getting ready to go out, right? And, and they're going to leap out of that stall ready to go out. And so the primary, not the primary, one of the things we want to be great at exporting around here is college students who revere the name of Jesus. Let me ask this question. In 10 years, if 5,000 students have gone through our system instead of the current systems, will that have a change in Northwest Ohio? You better believe it. That is worth investing time, energy, money, and sweat into it, okay? And so we're just going to keep pounding away. We're going to keep pounding away. We're going to keep pounding away. It is going to work. Every time you drive by Fallen Timbers Mall, say a quick little prayer, dear Jesus, at the right time, shut it down, and hand it over to the college. Amen? Amen. All right. If it's right.
I mean, right now you can still get a new cell phone and a really crappy t-shirt at Fallen Timbers. So we're just waiting, we're waiting. <laughs> second thing, second thing. Last year we got really excited about protecting life around here. And um, we, we had to because it was just the, the culture, the moment of the culture, right? And um, every once in a while people would say types of things like, oh, you just like to rant about abortion, but you don't actually do anything. That's a lie. It's always been a lie, okay? Um, but I'm reminded of James 1.27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father is this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's the NLT, James 1.27. And it's true. In pure and genuine religion, when you hear the word religion, just think faith. Pure faith, pure faith is justice. Pure faith is taking care of the down and out. And so as a church, what we have decided is that one of our primary mission initiatives as a church is going to be standing by and supporting single moms, okay? And particularly doing that through Bella Vida. We're going to do it internally, but we're also going to do it externally uh, through Bella Vida because they're one of the best-led organizations in our city. Their, their um, director, her name is Savannah. Uh, Savannah is, is unbelievably intelligent. She's a gifted leader. It's an organization that has 40 years of history. Um, and some of you are probably at this place in life where you're like, I'm kind of tired of supporting organizations that are poorly run right? Um, and, and, and Bella Vida is not. They are so efficient and effective with big dreams and big goals. And so we're going to come alongside of them. You already saw the video. We're going to come alongside in two ways, financially, and then secondly, encouraging you guys to begin to serve there. Uh, and so I would say this, uh, you can, uh, we'll send out an email or you can sign up on your way out today at the welcome table. Um, but we want to flood Bella Vida with volunteers. And uh, my goal, my prayer, we don't want to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, so don't tell anyone else this, but my goal is that in two years, four years, Bella Vida looks back and they'll say, wow, when redemption got involved, it changed things. Like we were just, they were able to move to a new level, okay? And so I want us to do that. And so maybe God has put that in your heart and you're like, I just have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And some of you are like, I don't know how motivated I am right now. Let me tell you something. When you're at Bella Vida and you have helped walk a mom through choosing life, and you then meet that baby, all of the motivation in the world will be there in that moment. So even if it's not there right now, just get started. It'll come. It'll come. It'll come. Number three. Third thing we want to do is this. We want to bear fruit that lasts, and the, the fruit that has lasted, the primary fruit that has lasted now for 2,000 years is the church. It's the church. And for 2,000 years, the church has been God's strategy of redemption. And the church is, uh, is it, it is the fruit that we are also told will never, ever fail. Colleges will come and go. Okay, hopefully ours will last, right? Colleges will come and go, right? Some of them need to go. A lot of them need to go right now. Um, colleges will come and go. Even nonprofits, great ones, will come and go. One thing will last forever, and that's the church. That's the church. Romans 10 says it this way. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches? Where does preaching, where is it supposed to happen? Where is it supposed to happen? In the local church, in the body of Christ. 
raising up preachers, raising up a new generation of leaders, raising up um, new clear truth churches, right, across our region and across our state and across our country. And so, man, the other day I was walking, um, this was about a, the other day, again, that means any time between now and the last 10 years. And so um, I, was, I was, this was not that long ago, it was about a year ago. I was walking early in the morning and I called Tom and I said, Tom, I don't know if this is ever going to be a thing, but I'm just praying right now. And, and this is the dream that is in my heart. I want to plant a hundred churches in 10 years. And I said, here's the deal, Tom. I have no idea how that's possible, which means it might be from God. Right? And even if we don't get there, that's okay. Right? Uh, it's just something that was like I was just praying about that morning. And, and because why? Because the church is the one fruit that will always last. That's a fruit that abides. And so we need to plant more churches. We need to plant more churches, and we need to plant churches that are, that are clear truth churches that aren't going to bow to, the, to, the, to the, the latest fad, that aren't going to bow to the empty philosophies of this world, but that are going to preach and proclaim the clear, unfiltered word of God because we know that we are sanctified in truth. Your word is truth. And so we want to plant them where they don't exist now, and we want to come across and strengthen the ones that do exist now and we've been given opportunities to do both of those things and we're just taking small steps to do it the first one we want to do is we want to get behind mike who's going to be preaching next week i know sometimes people take uh, weeks off right when like uh, you know lead pastor's gone don't take a week off next week mike is awesome and he's going to preach the word of god and um and he's going to preach and we're going to help plant him in down river detroit he couldn't come up with a name with it for his church so he's just going to name it redemption um, and even though it's redemption i want you to know uh, there's no like official tie we don't like own them or something weird right um he doesn't doesn't actually like report to us or anything. We just trust him and we want to come alongside and we want to get his, help him get his church started. We also then uh, want to begin to just dream and pray about God sending other people that would want to plant churches, whether we rise them up on our own. And by the way, can you see all of these things working together? A revere is going to grow by God's grace and by his will. It's going to grow and it's going to grow. And eventually, hopefully we're going to have a church planting a major out of revere. Revere is not just a ministry school. So there's going to be English and there's going to be math and history and all those other majors. But one of them will be ministry And we'll grow them up inside, right? We'll fund them here as a church And we'll just send people out to the world, right? This is the plan And uh, guys, we can just start right here We can just start right now And, and so we're going to do uh, in February uh, a, a small missions offering And it is, for the size of our church, it's relatively small, right? That doesn't mean that we don't all have to like give and give generously uh, But it's relatively small uh, and, and here's our goal We want to fund each of these things uh, at $25,000 25000 uh, to single moms 25000 to Revere 25000 to Mike's church And then 25000 that we're just going to set aside um, For future church planting efforts And church development efforts All of this money is not money uh, That is going to go here uh, To our body of Christ uh, and so if somebody's like, well, what's in it for you guys? Nothing, right? Um, what's in it for us is that we get to be a part of exporting the gospel out to the world. And so I'd encourage everyone to participate above and beyond our normal giving, right, to participate uh, in a way, um, first through our generosity, but then secondly, right, also then uh, through our time, our effort, and, and, our, and our skills, and for some of us, that might just mean like, okay, my role right now is just to make sure that the body of Christ is strong here so that we can grow stronger and stronger so we can export more and more. That might be your role. The other part of your role might be one of these three things. Um, it, it might be, you know what? I actually have a skill to offer Revere, a skill as a professor, an internship, whatever it might be. Might be getting involved in Bella Vida. It might also then be some of us. I don't know. I don't know who's all in the room. Maybe some of you are supposed to plan a church. 
Man, that could be it. Or, or there's a call into full-time ministry on your life. And, uh, and so maybe that's a conversation, whether you're younger or old, uh, that, that there's a call to that, and that might be your response this morning. And so all of us can respond in both of these two ways that we get to bring the gospel to the world. Now, how are we going to do it? What's the power behind it? Let me take you back to John 15. We've talked about the motive, gratitude, compassion, love. We've talked about the method, the sacrifice and the appointment of the saints, you and I. But what's the power behind it? Look, it's right here. So that, the end of 16, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Two things that we see here. The first part of the power is simply prayer, that there's a spiritual battle that has to be won, and that is won in prayer. It's one in you praying on your own. It's one in you praying in groups and life groups and uh, ministries and all of that kind of stuff. It's won by us praying corporately as the body of Christ that God would uh, send church planners, that God would uh, uh, move in the college and all of those types of things. So it's winning the war in the spiritual first uh, and prayer and prayer and prayer prayer and prayer. And by the way, revivals are marked by two things, people praying and then people preaching. That's what, that's, what, that's what revivals are marked by. People praying and people preaching. Prayer and preaching. Prayer and preaching. Prayer and preaching. And just a rhythm of that, right? And so here's the good news. We can do both. And then the second uh, thing that we see here is this, that when we operate, we operate. What is the power? The power is that we are operating in His name. It's not about our name. It's not about an individual. It's not about a brand, uh, right? It's not about an entity or an organization. It's about the name of Christ and operating in the power and the strength of Christ, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, uh, right? And so we operate in the fullness and the power of his spirit, in the, and we go in the authority of Christ to bring the gospel to the world. You say, well, what's the potential? What could this look like? I mean, imagine if you could, again, the Puritans, like when they got on this boat, like, what's this going to look like? Who knows? And they went over, and wow, look how the church has thrived, and look how the American church could be an exporter of the gospel because for so long the church here was strong uh, and this is why by the way the enemy wants to weaken the church in our country because you know the weaker it gets the less we can export the gospel right uh, but man imagine if those guys could have understood what was going to happen but then even go further back and imagine again the 12 sitting right here listening and he said you're going to go and if you go and if you go in my name you can't even imagine what's going to happen that one day at simultaneously across the, the world right now that 2.6 billion people would call upon the name of Jesus. We don't know when all of this is over. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. All right? If you think you know you're wrong. Okay? I don't care what blog you've been reading. You're wrong. We don't know when he's coming back. Here's what we do know. Until he does, let him find us walking in our appointment and being a part of his mission, sacrificing much to bring the gospel to the world so that one day there's not 2.8 billion followers of Christ. There's 5.6 billion followers of Christ. There's uh, double that one, whatever. What is that? 11.2. There's 11.2. I can do this all day. Followers of Christ. That's, that's what we get to be about. That, and look how Jesus starts it. He says, hey, I'm the vine. Start with me. My father's the vine dresser. He's gonna change you. Okay, but now as he's changing you, he's gonna release you. That's life in Christ. 
on mission for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you would choose us, that you would then appoint us, that you would then release us and give us the authority and the power of the Spirit. And so I pray for every person in this room that they would walk in the power of their appointment and their ordination, that they would leverage wholly the gift that you have given them. Father, help us to be generous here financially and help us also to step up and to serve, to play our role in the bringing of the gospel. We thank you for those who have been faithful to do those two things prior to this moment so that we might be the recipients for how would we have ever heard unless someone preached and someone preached to us because someone preached to them because someone preached to them because someone a long time ago decided that they loved future generations enough to sacrifice, to lay down their life. And so we don't want the baton to drop with us. And so, Father, may we sacrifice, may we give, and may we love so that the gospel may go out and 300 years from now, people will still be praising the name of Jesus. We ask this in the Father's name, in the Son's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. For more information, you can visit Experience Redemption on Instagram or Facebook for updates, service times, and ways you can get connected. Want to partner and support the work of Redemption Church? You can give online at experienceredemption.com slash giveonline to explore your giving options. We also stream services on both YouTube and Facebook Live, so be sure to join us and share your redemption experience. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We will see you soon.